Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you back to Bible News Radio. I am your sweet and lovable host. You guys said that, not me, because I know me, just so you know. <laughs> All right, although I have to admit it is kind of true. Um, anyway, I'm glad that you're here today. You're, you, uh, you have tuned back in here to join us for our very intimate conversation with um, Nagme Panahi. I think I nailed it that time. Yeah, I did. Um, anyway, if you didn't see the first hour of our interview with her, I want you to, want to encourage you to go back and watch the replay um, because it is gold. Hey, I have interviewed well over a thousand people easy in the last 17 years. And honestly, um, if more pastors said even a quarter of the stuff she said in that last hour, maybe there would be an actual revival here in America. Just saying. Um, so, um, go back and watch hour one. If you're new to the show, this happens to be your first hour tuning in, uh, to the show. Welcome to the show. I want to let you know our main website is hearttug.org or you can go to biblenewsradio.com. Over there, you can learn a little bit more about the four main areas of the ministry that we have here. And that would be our show here, the show that you're watching, uh, Bible reading accountability, where we have groups that meet to read the Bible together and talk about it. Did it this morning. Um, Bible studies. Currently, I'm actually teaching a Bible study in Psalm 119. That's going to be going on for a while because it's a long psalm. And um, biblical counseling because that's my background. And if you need some help, let me know. Maybe we can help you out or I can find somebody that will help you out if I can't help you out. Those are the, the, the main areas of what we do. And then the other thing is, if you want to get on our text message list, you can text the term Bible News to 33222 or Team Unstuck, which has to do with our Bible reading accountability. And you're, you're probably going, why? Why should I be accountable reading the Bible? Well, because if you're a believer, you should be reading the Bible, and most people don't. In fact, I will tell you something. This is a true story. It was about a year ago. Uh, I have a friend who introduced me to her Bible reading accountability groups, and um, she invited me to come in. And I was like, "Yeah, I, I read the Bible. I don't have to be accountable to anybody about reading the Bible because I'm a, you know, I'm the host of this show. Bible's in the name of it. <laughs> you would think that I would, you know, do that. And anyway, long story short, she challenged us, and she said, "When was the last time you actually read the whole Bible through?" And I was convicted. I was like. I I don't know. So I joined the group. And next thing you know, you know, here it is a year later, and I've read the whole Bible except for about six books. And the end of the year hasn't happened yet, so I'm hoping to have those whole six books end read by the end of the year. Not to be legalistic, but because it's something that I was challenged to do. Um, I read where God led me to read that day. I marked it down. And as the year has unfolded, I have fallen more in love with God's word. I've studied it more. And what I can tell you is that the unfolding of his words gives grace to the simple. That's in Psalm 119. Um, but, but it really is true. The more, let's say this is the word of God, okay? Let's just say the more you open it up, you know, the more you unfold it, the more you're going to see stuff. And it's, it is amazing. You cannot read the Bible <clears throat> and look at what's going on in the world and not see what God's doing. The only way you can't see what God's doing <laughs> right now in this day and age is if you're not reading the Bible. And that's, that's really the truth. And, the, you know, there's so much fear in the world these days. And in the church, a lot of people are scared. And it's because they're not reading the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, but when we read it, Psalm 119, 11 says, I word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you, right? Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's like <clears throat> that I might not sin against you, right? That's the key. Yes, we can hide the word in our heart, but why we do it is so that we're not sinning against God. Anyway, last hour, um, one of the things Nogme talked about was was about how the how we've lost the fear of God. We don't sit still. We don't listen. Um, and so this hour, what we're going to do is we're going to actually continue our conversation. It will be so good. I'm I'm so excited. <laughs> 
I really am. This is this one of these conversations I could talk forever about this stuff um, because it's so refreshing to me to see somebody not only know the word, but actually pay attention to it and go, wait just a second, mister. One of the things, if you missed last hour, um, that she quoted was from James um, and you know, where it talks about taking care of widows and orphans in their distress and then keeping yourself um, unstained from the world. Paraphrase, right? Um, that last part, who talks about that? Nobody. I honestly, Nogbe, come back here. I, I just got to bring you back here because I, I think that that is the, um, nobody talks about that. And I will tell you, okay, I'm going to just give you an example. Um <clears throat> Recently, I asked some friends on Facebook to give me some recommendations to watch on Netflix, okay? And I specifically said in my recommendation, I don't want any homosexuality in it. I don't want any immorality in it. I don't want any bad words in it. Um, please recommend what you would read or, or, or watch because I don't watch TV, generally speaking. I've been really heavily into baseball this year, but, you know, that's, that's clean. You know, it's baseball. Um, and I got a couple of recommendations, literally just a couple of recommendations. And so Randall and I started watching this one show and like three episodes in, I'm like, I can't watch this, you know, um, locally, I live here in Tennessee, you know, the Bible belt, probably familiar with Tennessee, right? Everybody and their grandmother is a, is a Christian here, but I will tell you the overwhelming majority of the people in this state that I know personally drink alcohol. And it's casual. They drink it all the time. Business networking groups, all Christians, they go out and they drink. And I don't condemn anybody for drinking alcohol. But the thing that blew me away about it is that it's so natural and common place. When I grew up in California and became a Christian, I didn't know any Christians that openly drank alcohol. And so I come to the Bible Belt and it's like, this is, this is a thing. And I had a friend of mine tell me. This was at pickleball because um, I play a lot of pickleball. Don't judge. Uh, <laughs> but I had this older friend tell me, he said, here in the South, we don't drink with our friends that we go to church with, but we do drink alcohol with other people that we know in our lives. <laughs> I, was, I was like, that's like an unwritten rule that, you know, and I'm not saying anybody's getting drunk or anything. It was just the culture of it. And the reason I share that is because I'm one of the only people that these people know that don't drink. You know, I mean, a very rare occasion I might have a glass of wine because I like red wine. But, you know, it's just one of these things where it's like, oh, she doesn't drink. Don't worry. You know, but but anyway, you can put her back there. She. <laughs> By the way, in my last episode, I said that Randall flashed me. Just want you to know, in light of the conversation that we were talking about pornography, he didn't flash me in uh, any type of way. I have a screen in front of me. He put himself on there and kind of waved to me and then took himself off. That's what I was talking about, just so you know, nothing inappropriate. So, you want to comment? <laughs> you want me to comment? Yeah, it's your turn. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, I don't know. Do you want, I, I hope on the last episode, we kind of talked about um, taking time to really sit at the foot of Jesus and to be undefiled by the world. And uh, I, I hope a lot of people know my story because I didn't really, really didn't share much of it, but uh, I was, yeah, why don't you do up, that? yeah, I was caught up in an abusive marriage. When I went to Iran as a missionary, I got caught up in a very abusive marriage, a pastor, I couldn't see it as abuse. Uh, we came to America. I gave birth to two of our kids, uh, 2006 and 2008. Um, my daughter was born 2006 and my son was born 2008. And um, long story short, Saeed went back to Iran a few times and he was arrested in 2012. And that's when I kind of, I was always a very private person. And 2012 is when I kind of, came to the world stage. Um, Saeed was arrested July, put under house arrest July of 2012. I fasted and prayed, hoping for his release and didn't really want it to get big. Um, but God and his sovereignty and goodness, you know, made it big. So 
by December of 2012, um, I realized they were going to keep him in prison for a long time and they weren't going to let him out. And we decided to go to media. My first media was with Hannity of Fox News. And pretty much um, that's where I shared about Saeed's imprisonment as a Christian in Iran. And that's when it really blew up. I was within the next three, three and a half years, I was all over the world talking at different Congresses, different parliaments and United Nations. I spoke at our own Congress three times, met with Obama when he flew to Boise, uh, met with Trump, met with different heads of states. Um, like my story was pretty much, you know, all over the world. I think close to half a billion people were reached. And uh, end of 2000 and well, somewhere towards the end of 2014 until the end of 2015, Said had gotten hold of a cell phone inside of the Iranian prison, which was supposed to be high security, you know, maximum security. Somehow he had gotten hold of a smartphone even with internet on it. Hmm. And he started monitoring everything I did. And he was talking to me and he was calling me names and I realized that not only had my husband not changed in prison, I was hoping he'd become a better man because uh, before his imprisonment, he was very, uh, I, again, I couldn't have put the word abuse on it, even though I was physically beaten a few times, but our marriage was not good at all. And so when he got a hold of a, a phone, I realized he has not only not changed, but he'd gotten worse with severe PTSD and paranoia. He saw that his story had gotten really big. He thought I was stealing his fame. Anyways, long story short, um, I realized my life was in danger if he was to come out um, because he threatened to even come and take the kids from me and take him to Iran. And he called me Jezebel and a whore. And it was just heartbreaking. And so I um, stopped all advocacy in November of 2015. Uh, I talked to, before I stopped advocacy, I was talking to a pastor. I was speaking at a really big church in North Carolina at pastor, actually Dr. Chadwick, David Chadwick's church. And that's when he told me, I explained everything to him. I was, I just broke down and I said, I don't understand. I'm doing everything to get him out. And this is how he's behaving. And Dr. Chadwick told me that I'm an abused wife. And I looked at uh, online later, at all the signs of abuse and I, pretty much hit every single one. And that's when my life really changed. Um, at that time, I had a lot of deals to make movies and um, books and become a, have, be a Christian and have the world, you know, have the good, become a millionaire through Saeed's plight of imprisonment in Iran. And, and at that time, the Lord really spoke to me. Uh, one of the things Saeed would say from prison was uh, he wanted to get out and get a private jet. And he wanted million dollar houses in LA and New York and all over the world. And, and I thought to myself, you're a persecuted Christian. People are praying for you to get out of prison and you're thinking how you can benefit from God, uh, you know? And so that, that was one of my wake up calls was um, that the Lord spoke to me through his word saying friendship with the world is being an enemy to God. And that's pretty serious stuff to say, when, if you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God. And to use the name of Jesus to benefit like that, um, you know, so uh, once I realized I was, you know, that was happening and the abuse, I drew boundaries. I stopped advocating in November of 2015. I didn't know when Said would get out. He still had about five years left um, of his imprisonment. Um, at that time, Obama was president. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe when Obama leaves and someone else becomes president, um, Said would really be released because in the hostage crisis of 1979, that's what happened when there was a new president. That's when the hostages were released. So that's what I thought would happen. And at that time, I was talking to a lot of GOP runners for presidency. I was talking to Trump and Ben Cor Carson and um, just a lot of people, uh, Ted Cruz, and a lot of them promised me they're like, if we become president, we will get them out. So that's what I thought. So did not really did not expect for Said to come out early January of 2016. So I stopped all advocacy. He came out uh, because of his threats on my life and taking the kids. I had to fire, file for a legal separation and protective order 
which people didn't understand because they didn't know that Said had been talking to me from prison and threatening me. Uh, people didn't understand why I did that. A lot of people accused me of having cheated on Said. Um, long story short, it really, when he got out, he was given a lot of platform. Franklin Graham immediately sided with him. And uh, on his social media, he said, there's two sides to every story. And basically continued to try to make Said as, out as a hero. It took a few years for everything to come out and for Said's true colors to shine. And for people to realize what I was saying was true, uh, that I was an abused wife. Uh, Said has a warrant out for his arrest in Idaho currently. And um, in a way, I was vindicated. But no one knew how badly, not only how I was fighting so hard for the safety of me and my kids, they didn't know how badly Franklin had behaved. Uh, and all I can say is there was a recording that was released of one conversation with Franklin and some emails but that is the tip of the iceberg of what I went through with Franklin. That was just what was recorded. That was the, he was very involved, let's say, in trying to destroy my reputation, uh, very involved in our custody, even trying to get my turns against me, my kids turned against me. Uh, so what was released on, um, you know, the voice recording and the emails was really the tip of the iceberg of the battle I faced with Franklin. And I kept those, I kept those to myself. I never thought I would bring those emails or voice recording that Franklin gave me permission to record out. Um, I was only keeping them in case Franklin ever attacked me as a unfaithful, bad Jezebel wife that I could say, Hey, wait a minute, here's proof that I'm not. Uh, so I kept the voice recording of that meeting um, for that reason. But recently, I um, saw something come out about abuse uh, within the Calvary Chapel circles. And I felt like it was time to just speak, speak about abuse and just come out with my own stuff. And so that really gave me um, courage to start speaking about what had happened to me with Franklin. Uh, again, what I shared was just the tip of an the iceberg of the battle I went through for years with him. Yeah. Well, the courage that you have to do that, because, you know, people would say, well, yeah, here you are trying to get famous and make lots of money and get book deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And my first thought is, well, wait a minute, they were already going to do that for you because you're the wife of Pastor Saeed. The persecuted. I already believer. had that. Right. I already had book deals. I already right. had speaking. If right. I would have stayed quiet, right. I already had that. Right. And that's what I'm saying is that people who don't know anything, that's what they would do. They they dismiss it. And this is and this is what drives me crazy. And this is why I want I'm so glad you came forward again, even on this show, right? We're not a big show, but you know what? There might be one woman or even man in this audience who's being abused, who can get some help. Um, because often, like I said, the victims are re-victimized when they come forward because there's that whole narcissistic um, cycle of abuse, you know, and everything that you went through. I mean, aside from the physical rape, sexual murder, I mean, you said Saeed was trained by Hamas, right? Hezbollah. He Hezbollah, was, he was, okay. The first time he beat me, uh, I realized this man can kill me. He was trained by Hezbollah. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not, you know, <laughs> we're not talking like, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so the, the current, and, and then there are people, well, how come you didn't, you know, say something before and how come you went ahead and you defended him? And that's easy. You ever heard of a trauma bond? that's what that is. That's that is my biggest battle. People are like, why did you fight so hard to get him out? Right. They call me all sorts of names for that. First of all, as Christ of our example, while we were sinners, while we were the enemies of God, he died for us. So just because I was not a good husband at that time, again, I couldn't put the name abuse on it. It I was, there was trauma bonding with him. He mm -hmm. was the father of my children. I was right. gravely afraid uh, of being a single mom. My kids being raised without a father, which Saeed used against me. He would always, even from prison, when he got the phone, he threatened divorce. He came out and he divorced me again, something people don't realize. Right. I did not divorce him, even though I had every right. 
because of the physical abuse, all sorts of abuse, pornography, and um, cheating. And so I still didn't divorce him. I just said, get help. Like I am here waiting for you to get help. And he is the one that divorced me. So uh, yeah, he just um, all sorts of uh, abuse and um, I didn't see it. So people still question me like, why did you fight for him? I didn't see the abuse. He was the father of my children. I loved him. I was attached to him. I was under so much abuse that he controlled everything I did. I literally remember when he was physically taken to prison thinking, what am I going to wear? How am I, I going to do my makeup? Because for the first time I had to decide clothes I was going to buy because he, he got to decide everything in my life. I was controlled in every way. And when I would talk to media, I was like, what do I say? Like for the first time I was again, you know, before I'd met Said, I was a businesswoman. I had that confidence, but that was stripped away from me for eight years. And so, um, again, so yeah, people don't understand why I fought so hard, but then look at the heart of God. He gave his life for us while we were sinners, yet he requires repentance for relationship. Right. So I drew boundaries and I said, I fought to get you out. And in, in the process of fighting to get him out, God used it. I was able to share the gospel with millions of people, including millions of Muslims. Yeah. So God gave me a, using Saeed's imprisonment. I was given a platform to sit across from Obama, to sit across from Trump, to sit across from heads of states, to sit be at parliaments in Germany and uh, uh, Netherlands and European Parliament and the United Nation to speak about Jesus being the savior to all these nations. So I was given a platform for the gospel because that was my heart since I was nine years old when I got saved. I would always pray, Lord, help. You know, I would pray Psalm 2 where Jesus, you know, God said, today I've begotten you, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. I always prayed like, Lord, I want salvation. So through Saeed's imprisonment, I think good stuff came out of it. God allowed me to advocate for him. I don't regret it because the gospel was spread um, and uh, Iranian government was called out on its abuse of Christ Christians, of persecuting Christians. Everywhere the Iranian government went, I was there. If they went to the United Nation in Geneva, I was there. One time I chased down the Iranian president at, at the United Nation in New York. Uh, I was almost tackled by security, but I was there. I was a thorn on their side. And I am glad I was there because not only was I talking about Saeed, but I was saying what you're doing with the Christians is wrong. And I had a world stage to call them out, to call out a bully like the Iranian government. And so a lot of people say, why did you do it? I didn't see it. And God allowed me not to see it. And God gave me a platform while uh, during the, my blind years. But at the same time, God allowed Saeed to reach this hero status to unveil and say, this is how my church, sick the churches, they cannot believe that a persecuted pastor could be an abuser, could be into porn, could be cheating on his wife and beating his wife. And I believe it's all in the plan of God for the way it came out. I did get stoned as, you know, uh, I felt like I was, I was uh, the person on the side of the road, road bleeding uh, and no one wanted to touch me. Uh, as the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it was ex extremely hard to come out about abuse and be judged in all sorts of ways. Uh, but God allowed it and he gave me the strength to stand up to it he you know uh and he had me he he gave me victory over keeping me and the kids safe and then recently with the franklin stuff uh, graham stuff coming out it's been another battle people don't like to hear their heroes not behaving very godly so let me let me ask you something because i know that you know julie roy's Dot com. You guys can go there. I, I don't have any of this on my website, but she's got all this audio and stuff and um, you can go there. Julie is a friend of mine. So just go to her site. <laughs> but but you, if I'm recalling correctly, you had written an email to trusted people, right? And somebody on that email released that confidential stuff to the media. Is that right? Yes. Uh, someone coming out of abuse, you don't want to, you right. are taught to protect your abuser. Right. And I was afraid to even say anything negative about my marriage to my own mother. So of course, I don't want anything bad to come out about my husband. What had happened was a pastor had just told me you're an abused wife. I Googled it. Everything on that list applied to me, including isolation, 
the silent treatment, physical abuse, psychological, financial, everything. And so here I was on a verge of a mental breakdown. I wrote an email to people I trusted, people who had helped me do prayer vigils for Said, who loved Said. I knew they they just uh, adored Said, so they wouldn't turn on him. And they had kept previous things that I had shared with them and nev- it never got leaked to media. So here I thought I was sharing with a group of people that were trusted that I was an abused wife. I just like shared it and within hours it got leaked to media. So that was not my intention, although God used it. It was not my intention for anyone outside of that group of people to know that those were my support group. That was my support. And do you, did you ever find out who did it? Cause no, I ended up deleting that email. I kept asking people like, can who did it? And people kept saying, well, I didn't do it, but I forward the email to my mom or my sister. So it had been spread all over. So I don't know if like someone on the email list did it, or they sent it to someone else who did it. But that had to did, did that feel, I mean, I know I probably would have felt so betrayed just by that, even though God's using it for good. Right. But still that's like, you know, like, here's my diary. He just, now the whole world sees it, you know, type thing. If you've read the email, I think it's on Christ, Christianity today, published the emails I sent uh, years ago, but it was like, like you said, it's like a diary. I was sharing my heart, very intimate. And what I did, I was flying back to Boise. So I I wrote the email on transit, like I think in Texas. And then I got on the plane and got home and my phone was blowing up. And when I realized that this had gone to media, I, my heart dropped. Like you said, it felt like betrayal. Like who did this? Yeah. You know? So yeah, it was pretty traumatic. Because from that moment on, not only was I traumatized by the fact that like this intimate email had been leaked, I was also being attacked by people like Franklin Graham of being accused of adultery. And another thing that a lot of people get the fact wrong, they think Said got out of prison and I said, oh, he's he's an abusive person. That's not the case. I came out about the abuse two months before Saeed being released. And I didn't, Saeed still had five years left. So I didn't know he was going to come out in January of 2015. So the, the stuff about abuse came out in November of 2015 and Saeed got out in January of 2016. So no, I didn't do it to throw Saeed under the bus. And to this day, Saeed has been the only man I've ever been with. So I didn't, wasn't like sleeping around, had boyfriends or anything. Um, that was not my motivation. My motivation was to just, I was, you know, saved yeah. my life. Well, and honestly, uh, anybody, I, I mean, I shouldn't have to state this, but honestly, with all the stuff that you went through, it would be, it would be, anti- it would, it, why would you want to be with somebody else? I mean, you know I, what I mean? I, it's, it's like, trust. right. It really is. And even during my advocacy for him as, you know, as a mom, I was so busy, um, you know, traveling and writing articles for different, uh, Christian magazine, or, you know, even like Washington Post and New York, like different, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Huffington Post and Wall Street Journal. And so I was so busy being a mom and traveling. I mean, who has the time? Right. Right. And then having come from such a bad experience with a man, like who, you don't just jump into another relationship, trusting another person when your trust has been broken so it's just it's so weird that people even assume that it's like I didn't have the time and like you said it's really hard to trust you know for to jump into another relationship yeah I mean I've been there I'm a I'm a survivor of sexual abuse from my childhood and Randall's my only husband but it's been a journey you know journey it's not easy to trust after you come out of abuse yeah so the, so then the, the, so then the stuff about Franklin Graham, right? You know, I mean, um, he does a lot of good works, you know, he does good stuff. Lots of people around the world love him. What was it like for you to, you know, stand up to him when, you know, I, I guess, I guess the thing is, and we're not sharing all the details, but, but when he played marriage counselor to you, that's the part that 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 fries me personally. I'm just like, 
I'm a marriage counselor <laughs> by training and what he did, I'm like, who gave him the, the right to, to play mediator between you and your, your husband that, well, he said, I'm not a marriage counselor, but then he's forcing me to make it up. He's putting the burden of saving the marriage on me. And Just so here I'm telling him I've been physically beaten near to death. I've been cheated on. My husband's addicted to porn. He's been beaten my animals. He's beaten my dad to near death. He, he has a, a history of violence. And what does Franklin say? It's on you, Nagme. You can save the marriage. I'm like, it's not. And he's saying, I'm setting the bar very high for asking Say to get help on abuse and adultery, porn addiction. For Franklin to say, you're a liar because you didn't tell us that you had a phone. Uh, Said was talking to you from prison. Said is the truthful person and it's on you to fix the marriage instead of giving, doing anything on about Said. Uh, my one hour meeting with Franklin, Franklin spoke the entire time. If Said is truly sorry, why doesn't he talk in the meeting? It's Franklin basically saying it's on me, the wife who has been abused to save the marriage. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's, an, it's outrageous. And, and you, you also talked about how um, Anne, his sister, came to your defense, basically, or supported you. Can you tell us about that? Because honestly, I've met her. I met Anne, Anne many years ago at a conference and I was very struck by how stoic she is. Yeah. But she um, wanted Said to, she wrote, she'd been writing a book called Daniel, the book of Daniel, a prayer through Daniel at that time. And she'd wanted Said to write the foreword. And that's right around the time I realized I was coming out of abuse. So I called her, I'd called her even before every, you know, um, well, right around that time before, before it actually got out, out, she didn't know. And interesting enough, Franklin knew, but Anne didn't know because I called her and I said, this is what's going on. Um, but from that moment, she believed me The it was, she was one of the first people that I said, this is what's happening. She said, knock me. I believe you. She didn't say, Oh no, Saeed, a hero. How can it be? She said, I believe you. And from that moment, she really became a support to me. Uh, when Franklin was really, because she was also a Graham and I was mm -hmm. still idolizing the Graham name. So here Franklin's forcing me to go to North Carolina to be on a sweet little romantic retreat with my abuser who could kill me. And I asked Anne and Anne is basically advising against it. And she really helped me. She even said, why do you care about the Graham name? Like we're just people, hmm. you know, do what God has showed you to do. And she really, really helped me to make that decision and you know i know she's even with this recent stuff coming out <clears throat> with franklin and i think she, i can knowing franklin she's probably in a lot of trouble <laughs> for having stood up for me so and she's on the board of samaritan's purse and all of that so i don't i, I don't know how it's gonna all work out but mm. she's just and i think her son works for i mean it's a, it's a whole that's the complicated thing and when you have family working and there's, well, yeah, but there's been, I mean, there's been a lot of um, media coverage of the Graham family, whether, whether it's a grandson who did some bad stuff as a pastor or, yes. you know, books written by, by Ruth or, you know, about in every piece, it's a broken heart. I mean, the, the people who are honest in that family have exposed stuff, yes, have. <laughs> you know, yes. and it's like, um, yeah, you know, it's it, also, it, right. I think Franklin's nephew, Boz, I don't know how to Boz, say his last name. To vet, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Like it's, yeah, he's yeah. got a really hard last name. Yeah, it starts with a T. I do know that much, but yeah, it's like TZ something. Uh -huh. uh, but he has been very outspoken about abuse, especially sexual abuse of children, mm -hmm. but he's been Good. very, very outspoken. Yeah. And he actually, I was on a call with him last year um, because I'd started an organization for abused women and all of that. And <clears throat> we were talking about something that had to do with ch children. Anyways, I was on a three-way call and he said, uh, before we continued with the meeting, he said, Nagmi, I just want to say, I am really sorry. He, and he didn't, he hadn't heard the voice record. He didn't know all the stuff that everyone knows now. But he said, I just, he just seen stuff on social media of how Franklin was bullying me, but 
uh, he said, I am so sorry for the way Franklin has treated you. Yeah, I am too. Oh. That's why we're so doing that was, show. That was really good hearing that from his family, someone who's related to him. Yeah. Well, what, you know, so now you're, you're divorced legally, right? And you, mm -hmm. you have custody of your children. How, yes. how are they doing? How are your, how, how are they doing? You know, my biggest fear was divorce and my kids, because you hear all the statistic, the kids growing up in this kind of home do bad, but they're doing good. Their relationship with God is good. They're doing well in school. My daughter's straight A's. My son's doing well. He's playing basketball. They're growing up pretty healthy, normal people. So it's all the fears I had of uh, being a single parent home is no, you know, if, if it's a stable single parent home, the kids actually do better than being an abuse. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so yeah. then, and there might be somebody saying, okay, so well, what is it? Okay. You've already talked about Franklin Graham ad nauseum here. What is it that you, you want from that man? I mean, I'm just playing quote devil's advocate. Like is, is well, your here... goal to bring him down or is your goal to do something better for the church, just to be heard, to be, um, yeah, I know it's a hard question, but I thought I'd ask it. Repentance. Why did God, why did God call out the religious leaders? His, he's all love. God doesn't want anyone to perish. So why did he do it? Was he hateful? Was he unforgiving? Was Jesus like bitter because they were in power and he wasn't? I mean, what was the motivation of Jesus' heart? We know God is love. So it was love that called these uh, even religious leaders, some pretty heavy names like Buddha vipers and, and just whitewashed tombs. And his goal was to have them come to his senses and repent. I think the ultimate goal is repentance. And Franklin as a name that represents Christianity to have such a crazy stance, as you hear on the voice recording on my meeting with him, where he basically says abuse is only abuse if a man gets drunk every night and beats his wife every night. Maybe that's abuse for him to not even uh, really blink of an eye of, of, of physical abuse or emotional that he doesn't, you know, that's dangerous. He said it in the voice recording that I have that basically he saved a marriage of, of this military guy and his wife. And what happened later, he, the guy gets shot by police at a complication. He was so aggressive. And so you're like, you saved the marriage, but this woman could have died. Right. And so just his theology is so dangerous and is so unbiblical. Like I said, in the first session that we talked, uh, when we get closer and closer to the heart of God, not only should we be shocked at physical abuse, which Franklin didn't even, I was like, Franklin, I was beaten to death, almost dead. He didn't even like, it didn't affect him. By the more we get close to the heart of God, we should be shocked at any form of abuse. And that's what separates us Christianity from the rest of the world, right? Is when we treat sin the way God treats it. We, we honor God as a holy God in the sight of people. We are as sensitive towards sin as God is. And we deal with it like God did. Cut, gouge out your eyes, cut off your hand. And we don't brush it under the rug and not deal with it. So uh, I think once we learn how to see sin the way God sees, honor God as a holy God, have reverence and fear of God, I think we're, like you said in the last session, we're going to see revival. We're going to see change. We saw that in the book of Acts is when uh, the church, people were getting saved was because of the way uh, the holiness of God was shining through the church. There was yeah. fear. There was reverence of God. And we've, we've uh, walked away from that. And Franklin being one of them for him, not to even like for him, not to even think it's a big deal that I was beaten by my husband and cheated on. I mean, they, that's God, that's, that's being, he is being, he's, he's, he's worldly. The world, the, even the world says that's bad. Right. And Franklin didn't even like care. And as, as a, as a leader, he should have sensitivity to sin so that's dangerous so it's not for me i was saved if i would have followed franklin's advice i might not be here today but i this is six years ago when i had all the battle with franklin everything's fine now and but the thing is his theology is dangerous to other women and other abused victims right and you know what all we have to do is open the book of john the gospel of john 
and look at the woman caught in adultery and how she was brought before Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And there's two people there. Yeah. Two, but you know, whoever I always focuses on is the woman and who, you know, who was it that Jesus stood up for? He didn't stand up for that man. Mm-hmm. You, you remember he stood up for the woman, right? He, I mean, You've said something twice or a couple times, you know, in the last hour in in this hour that really has struck me. And and you've said this more than once is that in Christianity, we're not, we don't treat people this way as Christians. We don't do that. And yet, you know, from, you know, the Muslim background and all that women are treated like crap. You know, we're, we're just, you know, you're, you're, you're an object. You're, you're, you don't, you're not, you don't exist. You're just there to be used. Well, yeah, but Jesus, you know, he had no sin, and yet he did not pick up that stone to stone her, you know. The way he treated women in right. the Bible, even in the Middle East at that time, is revolutionary. The platform he yep. gave women, the honor he gave women. And wow, if we can, as people of God, we can do that and say, this is how marriage is supposed to be. A husband, instead of abusing his wife, honoring her, serving her, a pastor, instead of acting like a celebrity, laying down his life, it, that's our witness. That's so different than the world. That's what's going to bring in the harvest is the way we are so different than the world of where, we, when we're in power, how we treat those under us. That's what's going to stand out. And we've become like the world. Yeah. And Jesus was revolutionary in the way he treated women in the Middle East at that time. Yeah. And let's not forget, people, it was the Middle East at that time. <laughs> it still it isn't. It's interesting, right? So you you then have, you know, you 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 are now still working with the underground church or, or the persecuted church. But you also said you just kind of alluded to the fact that you work with domestic violence and women who are abused, too. Tell us about that. How can we help you if you if you need help in that? Well, I um. I don't know. I mean, just prayer. I, my, the ministry has been put on hold. Um, we don't, you know, okay. um, I just don't know. I, we started it to help some women and I, I'm not really, I, I don't really like leading ministries. I don't really like talking about what to do, what I do to raise funds and, um, just seeking God on what he has me to do. So, uh, that this ministry was started a few years ago, but it's been put on hold and, Okay. I don't want to just do ministry for the sake of ministry. There's a lot of ministries out there that help abuse and persecuted. And uh, I, I really uh, want to seek God and what he has for me um, and during this time. And it's been different things. There was a season I was a missionary in Iran and I was persecuted for my faith. There was a time I was an advocate, uh, advocating for the persecuted church. There's been times where I'm advocating for the abused and there's just been different seasons. Yeah. I just heard some noise. <laughs> I don't know. You oh, didn't. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> I, I got it. Um, so okay. one of the other things, and I know our time's almost up because I want to respect your time here, but I also do want to get a little bit of an insider's look um, at some of the work that you've done in the house churches that are persecuted. Because one of the things I've talked about here on the show a lot is how persecution is coming to America. And we kind of touched on that in the first hour, but it is, it's coming. And unless you're blind as a bat, you can't see it. It's here. It's going to be here. COVID isn't going away. Government overreach isn't going away. They're trying to wipe out the middle class. I mean, it's, it's coming and the church is going to have to gear up and armor up and stuff. And you've been in part of the countries where real believers have been persecuted and had to live in secret places and stuff like that. And so I'd like to hear a little bit about, about that. Maybe a story or two about how God intervened in something with the church, if you know, have any. I mean, um, I think trusting that when it's your time to go, uh, for, uh, a lot of trusting in the sovereignty of God. And when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And when it's not, God will protect you. So I was in the middle of much evil in Iran and I was arrested many times, but it was not my time. There was a few times I thought I was going to die. It was not my time. So when you, you just re- trust in God's goodness and faithfulness 
and in the midst of persecution and you just cling to him. Persecution helps you cling to him and it really cleanses you from the world. When you're, you know, when you're um, being pursued to be killed for your faith, you don't really care about having a nice car and a nice house and none of that matters. You're, you really, God uses persecution to cleanse you from the cares of this world and to draw you closer to him. So I would say what you, we talked about before preparation for persecution, be in the word of God, know the word of God, memorize the word of God, learn to pray and learn to be persistent in pray, learn to grow in prayer because, um, you're, you know, I, I, I was talking to a girl who was put in solitary confinement in Iran for 36 days. And that's when you're all alone in a cell by yourself, that's all you have. You've got to be strong in prayer where alone in a room, you can pray for hours and be revived and refreshed and uh, ministered to by the Holy spirit. Learn that now before, you know, we become so busy. We don't give time to God and his word and prayer. And the best preparation is to do that. Give go. Let's go back to the basics. Just go back to the basics, Bible and prayer. There you go. All right. That was easy, right? Well, easier said than done, but (laughs) so would you, um, you know, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or, or anything, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you if they want to talk to you? Um, I check my own social media messages. So if people want to find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Nagme Panahi, uh, N-A-G-H-M-E-H, last name Panahi, P-A-N-A-H-I, they can find me and message me. And um, yeah, I can, I usually respond to my own messages. So not usually hundred percent. all the time. <laughs> Well, you, you responded to mine and I'm happy that you did. I'm thankful that you did. And you know what? I'm thankful that God has given you the courage and the strength to do what you're doing and to stand up to the Goliath. I mean, let's just be honest, right? There's not a lot of Davids out there, proverbial yeah. speaking, but unfortunately, um, you know, well, Mary, Miriam, Ibrahim, and I were on. Uh, we were being uh, interviewed. Um, I think it was by Christianity Today, and we were talking about how, uh, like David, God has, and I believe that's the case for you as well. God has prepared us. If we look at previous battles, Satan, um, Miriam was imprisoned in Sudan on death row. I be, I was arrested for my faith. We've faced other giants where God has delivered us. So it's like the, this giant of addressing abuse. Uh, God's like, I, I delivered you from those bullies. Like you're going to be fine. I've got you. So, well, not, not only that too, but I will say that God always brings some help to you too. Like he did with you. He, he brought you a real shepherd to help you who said, look, you're being abused, you know, and he helped you. He strengthened you. And see, that's kind of the unsung hero that you don't, don't really see in these stories because, Frankly, let's be honest, people who are that way are generally humble people. They're not out to make a name for themselves. Or, or... And my abuse counselor, he walked me through everything. He... So there are godly Christian pastors out there who are like, don't really care about big names and they stand up and they help the abused. So it's, you know, when I talk about abuse, I'm talking about those who are abusing the power. There are, there is a remnant out there that doesn't do that. <laughs> Yeah. And God does bring people, like you said, yeah, to help. Yeah. Well, and to me, it's encouraging your, your healing, you know, and I know you're in the midst of your healing too. We all are, we all are dealing with some cer- certain things, but the word of God will, will renew your mind if you are in his word. And I, I, you know, I have a master's in clinical psychology and I can tell you, it's not psychology that's healed me. It's, it's Jesus. It's his word and the continually washing my mind with it. Because without that, I, I, I wouldn't be as sane as I am today, you know, just no. like you. <laughs> and people don't understand that. That's, that's the right. The sound mind. That's exactly right. Um, so we'll have to have you come back again some other <laughs> time. But, it's been uh, wonderful. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and thank you for um for your time. I really appreciate it. So those of you 
out there now, you know, who've watched this interview, thank you for watching it. I appreciate it. And I would ask you to share it out because a lot of people may need to hear it and they, they don't even know it exists. So if you just share it out, that'd be awesome. And, um, just want to remind you that one of our goals here at uh, Heart Tug International Bible News Radio is to reach the hearts of people one verse at a time. And that means sometimes standing up to a power that appears to be bigger than you. But never forget this. God is bigger than every king on the, on the planet. He can humble Nebuchadnezzar to make him eat grass and stuff. He, he can do anything um, to the arrogant and the proud. And he opposes the arrogant and the proud. And he, he exalts those who are humble and who come to him. So consider that. And as I always say, be bold. Stand up and go with God because he loves you.